Chapter 9 of The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the Cellars At last, what with being tired and cold and the uneasiness that possessed me, I resolved to take a walk through the house, first calling in at the study for a glass of brandy to warm me. This I did, and while there I examined the door carefully, but found all as I had left it the night before. The day was just breaking as I left the tower, though it was still too dark in the house to be able to see without a light, and I took one of the study candles with me on my round. By the time I had finished the ground floor, the daylight was creeping in wanly through the barred windows. My search had shown me nothing fresh. Everything appeared to be in order, and I was on the point of extinguishing my candle when the thought suggested itself to me to have another glance round the cellars. I had not, if I remember rightly, been into them since my hasty search on the evening of the attack. For perhaps the half of a minute, I hesitated. I would have been very willing to forego the task, as indeed I am inclined to think any man well might. For all of the great, awe-inspiring rooms in the house, the cellars are the hugest and weirdest. Great gloomy caverns of places, unlit by any ray of daylight. Yet I would not shirk the work. I felt that to do so would smack of sheer cowardice. Besides, as I reassured myself, the cellars were really the most unlikely places in which to come across anything dangerous, considering that they can be entered only through a heavy oaken door, the key of which I carry always on my person. It is in the smallest of these places that I keep my wine, a gloomy hole close to the foot of the cellar stairs, and beyond which I have seldom proceeded. Indeed, save for rummaging round, already mentioned, I doubt whether I had ever before been right through the cellars. As I unlocked the great door at the top of the steps, I paused, nervously, a moment, at the strange desolate smell that assailed my nostrils. Then, throwing the barrel of my weapon forward, I descended slowly into the darkness of the underground regions. Reaching the bottom of the stairs, I stood for a minute and listened. All was silent, save for a faint drip-drip of water, falling drop by drop somewhere to my left. As I stood, I noticed how quietly the candle burnt. Never a flicker nor flare, so utterly windless was the place. Quietly I moved from cellar to cellar. I had but a very dim memory of their arrangement. The impressions left by my first search were blurred. I had recollections of a succession of great cellars, and of one greater than the rest, the roof of which was upheld by pillars. Beyond that my mind was hazy, and predominated by a sense of cold and darkness and shadows. Now, however, it was different. For, although nervous, I was sufficiently collected to be able to look about me and note the structure and size of the different vaults I entered. Of course, with the amount of light given by my candle, it was not possible to examine each place minutely, but I was enabled to notice as I went along that the walls appeared to be built with wonderful precision and finish, while here and there an occasional massive pillar shot up to support the vaulted roof. Thus I came at last to the great cellar that I remembered, it is reached through a huge arched entrance on which I observed strange fantastic carvings, 
which threw queer shadows under the light of my candle. As I stood and examined these thoughtfully, it occurred to me how strange it was that I should be so little acquainted with my own house. Yet this may be easily understood when one realizes the size of this ancient pile, and the fact that only my old sister and I live in it, occupying a few of the rooms such as our wants decide. Holding the light high, I passed on into the cellar, and, keeping to the right, paced slowly up until I reached the further end. I walked quietly, and looked cautiously about as I went. But, so far as the light showed, I saw nothing unusual. At the top I turned to the left, still keeping to the wall, and so continued, until I had traversed the whole of the vast chamber. As I moved along, I noticed that the floor was composed of solid rock, in places covered with a damp mold, and others bare, or almost so, save for a thin coating of light gray dust. I had halted at the doorway. Now, however, I turned and made my way up to the center of the place, passing among the pillars and glancing to right and left as I moved. About halfway up the cellar I stubbed my foot against something that gave out a metallic sound. Stooping quickly I held the candle and saw that the object I had kicked was a large metal ring. Bending lower I cleared the dust from around it and presently discovered that it was attached to a ponderous trap-door, black with age. Feeling excited and wondering to where it could lead, I laid my gun on the floor, and sticking the candle in the trigger-guard, took the ring in both hands and pooled. The trap creaked loudly, the sound echoing vaguely through the huge place, and opened, heavily. Propping the edge on my knee, I reached for the candle and held it in the opening, moving it to right and left, but could see nothing. I was puzzled and surprised. There were no signs of steps, nor even the appearance of there ever having been any. Nothing save an empty blackness. I might have been looking down into a bottomless, sideless well. Then, even as I stared, full of perplexity, I seemed to hear, far down, as though from untold depths, a faint whisper of sound. I bent my head quickly more into the opening and listened intently, it may have been fancy, but I could have sworn to hearing a soft titter that grew into a hideous chuckling, faint and distant. Startled, I leapt backward, letting the trap fall with a hollow clang that filled the place with echoes. Even then I seemed to hear that mocking, suggestive laughter. But this I knew must be my imagination— the sound I had heard was far too slight to penetrate through the cumbrous trap. For a full minute I stood there quivering, glancing nervously behind and before, but the great cellar was silent as a grave, and gradually I shook off the frightened sensation. With a calmer mind I became again curious to know into what that trap opened, but could not then summon sufficient courage to make a further investigation— one thing I felt, however, was that the trap ought to be secured. This I accomplished by placing upon it several large pieces of dressed stone, which I had noticed in my tour along the east wall. Then, after a final scrutiny of the rest of the place, I retraced my way through the cellars to the stairs, and so reached the daylight. 
with an infinite feeling of relief that the uncomfortable task was accomplished. End of chapter 9. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.